0: Hello, this is the HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm your host, Annabelle Collins, and on this week's episode, we're bringing you the most interesting nuggets from this year's staff survey. To do this, I'm joined by Chris Graham, chief executive of the Pickett Institute, the organization responsible for coordinating the staff survey and crunching the numbers, our mental health and West Midlands correspondent, Emily Townsend, and Alison Moore, who covers the ambulance service for HSJ and the South East. Thanks very much for joining me, everybody, and welcome to the podcast, Chris. First of all, I'd be really interested to hear your first reactions to this year's survey. Last year's survey, we saw record lows across numerous measures. Was there any kind of more more feeling of optimism this year?
1: Yes, first of all, thank you for having me today. Very glad to join the podcast. Last year, I think we saw a, a real dip in findings across many areas of staff experience, which seemed to reflect coming out of that immediate pandemic era in 2020 and where things had largely held at a better level than might be expected. This year, we haven't seen much recovery from the 2021 results. Um, Largely, we've seen consistent findings across most areas, some small improvements, which I I, I think suggests a a sense of togetherness and uh, camaraderie amongst NHS staff, particularly in areas around interactions with one another. We've largely maintained results, but there've been some important dips in key areas as well. Um, I think naturally the first thing that many um, readers will be looking at is pay. Um, There's clearly been a, a big dip in satisfaction with pay. Actually, I think that's you know, one of the least interesting findings from the survey, you, you perhaps don't need survey data to tell you that staff are dissatisfied with pay when many of them are um, undertaking industrial action um, to seek better uh, terms and conditions. Um, but I think it does point to other areas that, that are interesting. So um, a lot of press coverage around intention to leave. Actually, that dissatisfaction with pay hasn't translated immediately to a big increase in intention to leave the service. Um, we're we're not seeing a massive shift on that. Um, Well, we have seen a bigger drop, though, is in uh, staff advocacy around standards of care. So we ask staff whether they would be happy with the standard of care in their organisation if a friend or relative needed treatment. Um, And from 2020 um, to to 2022, that's fallen from 74% down to 63%. So that's an 11 percentage point decline over two years. And I think that that's... One of the most striking findings for me that decline in uh, staff um, satisfaction with the standard of care provided by their organisations.
0: Yeah, that was something that really stood out to me as well, and it's it seems quite hard to get to the bottom of why that is actually I've been tr- was having some conversations yesterday with some patient safety people and it's obviously really concerning and people kind of suggested the the general pressures is kind of having this real impact on culture and um kind of stress but it yeah it's a really hard thing to say so why is this so much worse I I, I wondered whether whether you had any any thoughts on that
1: well, it's an interesting finding because it's very singular. What we're not seeing uh. is um, related dips across many other areas. It's particularly this question about the standard of care. And I, I think one naturally looks at the context. So we had a high level of COVID admissions um, above 10,000 uh, daily hospitalizations at the beginning of the survey period, which was September to November 22. So you, you naturally think about the pressure from that. Um one naturally then thinks about the um uh, elective backlog um and about emergency delays um and they could be the kind of things that that people are thinking about when um when they they when they answer that question um and so it it's you know I think there are a few potential culprits um in that decline what will be interesting will be to see whether that's maintained into next year and whether that decline can be arrested by the service
0: and it was interesting to see the inclusion of specific patient safety questions again this year which i'm sure that a lot of people will be really pleased to see back in the survey um they were removed in um i think 2020 was the first was the year without those questions and i know there was kind of a caveat in the survey that because the, the questions are slightly different they can't be compared with previous years But I did have a little look at previous years around patient safety and it seemed fairly kind of similar perhaps a little bit a little bit worse again so it'll be very interesting to see next year if there's been that if there's been that change I kind of imagine there might be as they were quite similar to the questions around feeling secure to to raise concerns about clinical errors.
1: Yeah and I think there are some positives in this so um First of all, incident reporting clearly is is a good thing. We want staff mm. to be able to report incidents they see. So the fact that a, a large number of staff report seeing incidents that could harm patients is not necessarily a concern in, in and of itself. The, the good news is that um, the, the majority, more than five in every six staff, say that their organisation encourages them to report errors, near misses or incidents that they see. Um, the the concern is that um, not enough, not high enough proportion of staff feel that staff who do report instance are treated fairly, that was less than 60%, um, and that clearly is something that needs attention, particularly, you know, in light of freedom to speak up. Um, so whilst we're not able to make direct comparisons on those questions because of changes to the wording, we, we do have other questions about freedom to speak up policy, which has shown a slight decline this year, okay. and that does speak to a, 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 a pattern here that that perhaps um, you know we need to, to look again at what we can do to promote uh, freedom to speak up and uh, and standards of incident reporting um, in healthcare organisations
0: and that was something also noted um by the national guardian um i believe last year there was a, a reduction in people um you know going to the freedom to speak up guardian and again i think it was kind of put down to pressures within trusts but yeah i think a lot of trusts will really want to drill down into that because as you said reporting is a really good thing and people feeling comfortable report is you know to report is essential um I also wanted to ask you Chris about um some of the questions around burnout which are really interesting and they were first introduced into the survey in 2021 um and kind of the, the way that the questions are organized is kind of broadly around the people promise themes which was uh, kind of I suppose it was part of the, the people plan work for the, NA, for the NHS and yeah I wonder what 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 are we seeing around around those sort of questions I suppose morale and burnout this kind of how people are feeling
1: yeah, so the burnout questions are a really interesting set. We've added those in 2021 from um, a longer measure called the Copenhagen Burnout Index. Uh, this Thanks. is um, this is great because we're using you know, externally validated questions and that, that address work related aspects of burnout. Um, when you use them for the first time, you don't have much sense of the context of what you can expect as a norm in workforce experience. And we've, we, you know, I felt that um, some of the, the measures look quite high for the NHS this year. Not an awful lot of change. Um, in some areas, actually, uh, burnout seems to decline. So um, in the ambulance service, for example, um, there, there was a, a notable drop in the proportion of staff who said that their work was emotionally exhausting. That went from, I think, about 49% down to 46%. Mm. So actually, there are some improvements on on burnout, um, which... Um, I think it's very, very interesting, given the wider context and some of the challenges facing the service. Um, I, I didn't see examples of it shooting up. Um, and indeed, in some of the areas where burnout had been most pronounced last time, um, I, I talked a lot last year about midwifery as an area that was particularly affected by burnout. We've um, you, actually seen some improvement there, um, albeit that group of staff still um, report very difficult experiences. I, I'll give you an example of that. Um, Amongst registered midwives and and acute hospitals and acute and community trusts, um, 59% this year say that they feel burnt out because of their work. Um, That's down from 63% last year, so it's a four percentage point drop, but that's still a good 10 percentage points higher than just about any other staff group. So there's a clear issue there for midwifery, I think.
0: Mm. No, I remember the results when midwifery were so worrying last year and and also particularly around staff who said they were thinking of leaving the job at their trust, Um, the NHS or healthcare altogether, which is, you know, incredibly worrying um, when there's already kind of dire shortages. And I think last year we were seeing fewer and fewer midwives working in the NHS. Again, that has improved slightly this year. Um, I wonder, did you did you notice a slight improvement in those measures this year in terms of people saying, I want to leave?
1: Uh, Well, first of all, on midwifery specifically, um, you know, I think the the profession faced a particular challenge last year because of, um, you know, the combined circumstances of that workforce shortage um, and uh, high levels of COVID transmission amongst the profession meant there was a lot of sickness absence that other members of staff were trying to pick up and that in turn led to stress-related absences of staff. So we we often found that um, there weren't as many staff as there should be and that was reflected in the survey at a very low rate of midwife. Reporting that there were enough staff for them to do their job properly. That has improved a little bit this year, mm-hmm. um, which is good. Um, on intention to leave, however, we've we've not seen um a significant improvement from last year. Generally, those measures have remained pretty consistent, and that's true for midwifery, but but more so for the um the entire profession. Um, for example. Um widely cr- quoted figure in the press yesterday was the proportion of staff who say they are often thinking about leaving and um, that's gone up this year from 31% to 32% so about one in three staff across the NHS um, and that's you know comparing to pre-pandemic in 2019 that's up about four percentage points Um I would say um, that that figure should be read quite cautiously um, Thinking about leaving isn't the same as having a plan to leave and it isn't the same as getting a new job somewhere else or exiting the profession Mm. Um, and when we look at the more detailed measures about people who say that they want to leave as soon as they can and that's Mm. closer to one in six 17 percent and actually hasn't changed a great deal since last year And moreover, when we we look in real detail at the, you know, what people describe as their next destinations, and we can see a lot of the people who are interested in leaving their current role would move to another role in their current organisation or another NHS role. So it's not necessarily all about departures from the health service, um, but but it's about total movement. Um, Nevertheless, I think all intention to leave is a concern and um, we clearly need to be retaining staff and, and that uh, I think demonstrates why staff engagement and using data from a survey like this to focus on the things that can improve people's workplace experiences is so important for organisations.
0: Absolutely I think that's really interesting as well because I think it's important to note the survey is of course kind of a moment in time and how someone's feeling when they're doing that survey and we're talking about last autumn and things weren't quite as pressurised as they were going to become but still Still, it was a difficult time um but yeah, I think that looking to thinking, considering leaving measure a lot of trust would be very, very concerned about. And we've mentioned a little bit about the Ambulance Service, but I'd like to to bring in Alison now to kind of get into that in a little bit more detail. Um, We've often seen the Ambulance Service have reporting the very worst results of all trust types. That's something that we've sadly just I think we've become desensitised to. Uh, But Alison, you've had a closer look at the data. What are some of your reflections from this year's survey?
2: Well, I think on the whole, it's quite a, a depressing picture. If we look over the last two years, the proportion of staff who would recommend um, treatment at their organisation in, uh, in, 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 as an ambulance trust, and obviously patients generally don't have much choice about which ambulance trust attends them, uh, it's declined from 75% to 56.7%. and. That's the biggest decline in all of the trust types. And it's a sign, I think, of the, the stress that the ambulance service has been under and the impact of delays in reaching people on, on, on staff and how they feel about their organisation. There were also some really worrying figures around recommendation as a place to work. I don't think any ambulance trust got 50% on that. Um, the Isle of Wight might have done, but that's obviously um, you know, sort of two men and a, a, and a dog. Um, but if you look at the big ambulance trusts on the mainland, I think the east of England had 31.1% of their staff recommending it as a place to work. Mm-hmm. Um, South Western had 31.2%. We know both of those trusts have had quite severe problems um, over the course of the last year. And I think that's probably reflected there. And just generally, there's an impression from these results that frontline staff, those on ambulances, those working in emergency control rooms are really feeling the pressure. They're really quite demoralised in many ways. Mm. Um, They're finding it. It very tough. The ambulances score quite low on things like compassionate um, care. Uh, sorry, compassionate leadership. Um, they score rather highly on 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 bullying. Um, staff are unhappy about their pay, uh, which we we know. We've seen a series of ambulance staff staff strikes in the last um, two months. Um, they also feel they don't have enough staff which is true, there's a lot of vacancies, but I think we've probably seen a real decline this year, and this was done uh, before the the problems that emerged in December and early January, where, as everyone will recall, we had a really, really tough time in acute care and in, in ambulance trusts with a lot of demand, some very, very long waits for treatment and i think staff feel that they they're not able to give of their best um to their patients because they arrive late then not not due to their fault, but they you know they're taking a long time to reach patients who may well have deteriorated in that time, and then very often they're stuck in the ambulance outside an A and E department, and I think that's having a real impact on on staff, and we're seeing quite a high turnover actually in in some ambulance trusts.
0: Mm, mm, I think that's yeah really really concerning, and as as you said, Alison, this isn't this was. Times were tough, but not as not as tough as they were in, in December and January. Um, and, and often as well, I mean, you've reported on this for HSJ around um, discrimination within ambulance trusts and treatment of staff from colleagues, yes. from service users as well. Um, w- were there any kind of interesting anything interesting to take from that in this year's survey?
2: I haven't been able to find any broken down figures by gender, but hmm. I think we we know that sexual harassment has been an issue in a number of ambulance trusts hmm. and. The ones where I'm aware that there has been a particular issue seem to have scored quite badly on on um uh, things like the recommendations place to work, so I think we can assume that that is a problem still. I yeah. think there's also probably a sense that <laughs> the moral injury to ambulance staff has been quite severe over the last year Um, this aspect of not not being able to provide the care that they would like to in some cases turning up and finding the patients have already died or deteriorated such that they're on the point of death mm-hmm. saw a story in the Guardian about that this morning a suggestion that there was a, a lot of patients who were dying because of delays I think that has a big impact on on the staff it, I think it, one of the other things that struck me is that the, the nature of, of ambulance work is often quite different to what is done in a lot of the rest of the NHS. You have a very close relationship with the person that you're sitting in the cab with, but you perhaps don't see so much of your line manager. Um, you you often don't see much of other people apart from those who you might meet in your your ambulance station when you go back or to the, the make ready station that you're, you're you're returning your vehicle to so i think the nature of relationships is is quite different and probably can feel rather isolated in, in some respects um the other thing is that i think it's it's well known that there's an impact from not having control over your work on on, on your health on your your mental health in particular and I think that's been shown over the years by various academic studies looking at all sectors of the, the economy. Ambulance staff are in a slightly odd position. They're, they're sitting there there in their, their um, ambulance. They get given a call to attend to. They don't, generally don't have that much choice about what they do. Um, they're pressurised on time they're rushing to to get to that call with well, rushing to get to the next one rushing to off- offload the the patient um and the, their ability to move freely within that is is quite limited and I wonder if that lack of control is coming through in some of these measures um I think we're also seeing quite a lot of ambulance staff looking to leave I was talking to someone the other day who does occasional work at an ambulance station and has done for a couple of years um throughout the pandemic. And he told me that he was now the old, the longest serving member of staff there. Um, everyone else had moved on. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case in every ambulance service in the in the country, but I think we are seeing quite a high turnover as a result of some of this.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting you highlight um, uh, frontline ambulance staff, particularly paramedics, control room staff who people don't always think of, um, uh, ambulance technicians, emergency care assistants, um, and they are some of the groups who face some of the most pronounced challenges, um, as reported in the survey. Um, one of the, the findings that surprised me, though, is um, uh, around violence um, experienced by staff from from patients. And uh, ambulance staff experienced shocking rates of violence. Um, typically around 50% of staff will report at least one incident of violence in the last year. But that's actually fallen since 2020 and has been sustained into 2022. There's been a drop of about four percentage points. And um, so one thing I'm, I'm really interested in is, is you know, what's driving that drop. And that, um, you know, I, we may not have an answer today, but I'm, I'd be really, keen to hear from anyone who had any ideas about
2: that yes that's it's very interesting isn't it because we have had some quite high profile cases of violence against ambulance staff there's a very bad one up in the the west midlands where i think uh, the person involved was jailed as a result of it Mm. and i know it's something which does affect their everyday work um and Um, can can affect the care they that that they can give because sometimes they will have to work with the police and other agencies before they can enter a building um, Mm -hmm. such as the the threat of violence so I'm quite surprised to hear that it's gone down I wonder if that has anything to do with the the public reaction to the NHS during the pandemic and that that sense of valuing the NHS which we we had during the pandemic which are Um, I think we're all hoping will continue in the future, and whether that makes someone who's um, drunk or overwrought less likely to punch an ambulance um, staff member or not, I'm not
1: certain, but but that might be a factor. I I certainly hope so. I I guess a more cynical interpretation might be that it could reflect the types of incidents that receive an ambulance attendance, um, and and perhaps there's been some change in that over the past couple of years, but uh, I simply don't. Have the data to do anything but speculate, but an interesting finding, I
0: thought. Mm, definitely, and as, as I said at the beginning of, of our talk about ambulances, the results are always really, really bad. And I think is there a danger? I wonder, um, Alison or Chris, that ambulance trusts go, well, they're always terrible, and they don't really kind of take notice and try and kind of do something about it, because it does. You know, some of those measures you're talking about are so low compared to other trusts. Yeah acute trusts where there was extreme pressure in emergency departments nowhere near as bad um when you're talking to leaders in ambulance trusts Alison are they are they aware of this that something needs to be done about it and if so what can they do
2: I think I think they will be very aware of the declines we've we've seen and because the the decline in recommendations uh, for treatment, for example, has been extreme. I don't think there's many other sectors where it's anything like um, 18 points down over two years. But I think I think the leaders are frankly struggling. There, there is so much on their plate. Things can go wrong so quickly. And we saw this, I think, around about the 19th of December, where things just exploded. <laughs> I mean, basically, well, one day everything was OK. And the next day, the whole of the emergency care system was in, in crisis, frankly, um, facing a massive increase in demand. Um, we saw this in NHS 111 as well, where I, th- I think um, the number of calls pretty much doubled. Um, so a lot of these aspects aren't under the control of the the trust's leadership and sometimes i think can probably catch them unawares i don't think anyone's quite expecting what we saw at christmas i don't think anyone's quite expecting the tremendous decline we and uh we see we've seen in the southwestern area in particular um where ambulances have been stuck outside a and e departments for, for hours on average it's quite quite remarkable and i I think three years ago no one could could have foreseen this whether they have the tools to deal with that or whether they are just trying to muddle through in the hope that things get better i don't know um but it's quite hard at the moment to see what what level everything will settle at and whether that will mean that for example next year's technically this year's staff survey will show some better results so obviously has been quite encouraging that things have calmed down in the second half of january and throughout february but things are beginning to warm up again now rather surprisingly Um, and we are seeing more ambulance delays um, increased demand again for nhs 111 so I think the next month or so will be very interesting if we can get back to some sort of stable, predictable level of, of, of demand on the ambulance services where they have the capacity to meet that demand. I think things could improve. And then the 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 leaders who are in place who are you know obviously very experienced, very skilled, a bunch of men and women. Uh, will have the things, uh, the the tools available to deal with some of these longer term issues w- with their staff. I think if we get another month like December, it will be very hard for them because I think everyone just um, tries to hang on through those those bad times and can't really do very much to impact on issues like morale, bullying, sexual discrimination and harassment and and so forth.
0: Yes, and perhaps also whether a, a pay settlement has reached.
2: Well, that union. Would always help. <laughs>
0: yes. I know the negotiations are ongoing, but I mean that 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 could do wonders for morale potentially. Though that's
2: yes, so I think people maybe. forget how badly some ambulance staff are paid. I mean, yeah. particularly the emergency it. control centres. So I think some of them are down on band two. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is you know not not a lot of money for spending eight hours dealing with someone who or a a succession of people who are often very distressed
0: yeah you're at the sharp end aren't you and you're paid you're paid the worst so it's really no surprise that the results of those staff groups are you know so atrocious I think I think now um let's let's talk about a different trust type let's bring in Emily and talk about mental health trusts um what what have you what have you gleaned from this year's results Emily
3: yeah, so it's interesting because um, in mental health, there are kind of traditional measures where, for instance, violence against staff um, on behalf of patients is obviously quite a common um, when they're actually in line with the national average now. Um, and, you know, as, as you would expect, it's kind of part of, you know, clinical practice. Um, you do have more more violence from patients. Um, but in terms of that, there's actually quite a positive side um, to mental health services in the sense that compared with, kind of acute trusts and an ambulance obviously um you know a lot of them feel quite valued so um 50% of people um feel that they are kind of valued by their organization and that's up there with community services and if you compare that to ambulance staff which is like 26% so it's quite a significant gap and they also feel like they have a pretty kind of good work-life balance which is 60% which is also higher than quite a lot of the other the other trust types so you've got that on the positive side, but you also have a couple of um, metrics that have fallen um, quite significantly, which you would probably expect given the heat that has been on mental health services over the past year, which in terms of, you know, abuse scandals and concerns about poor care. And one of those is a 10% drop in people feeling as if there are enough staff to do the job properly. Obviously, that's seen across all, but that's from 40% to 30% um, and a significant fall actually in people being happy with the standard of care provided from 70% which is quite high to 63% so you've got pretty considerable falls there um, in terms of you know care being provided and I think if you look across the actual trusts themselves you've got some pretty significant drops in terms of We've got Tavistock and Portman, uh, which, you know, trusts that have had really kind of high profile scandals um, and, you know, pretty awful governance um, problems. So Tavistock and Portman is a specialist um, mental health trust. It doesn't provide perhaps the the broad scope of services that other mental health trusts do, but it has been firmly in the spotlight for its gender identity service, which was taken off it last year. And there are also kind of widespread concerns within the organisation there was a pretty um, awful freedom to speak up reports in summer last year, which was um, pretty bad. I think leaders now um, speaking to them kind of in the last few weeks. Hannah Barnes from BBC Newsnight's book Time to Think has come out. And I think there is more of a sense that they feel like the leadership is kind of is changed quite significantly. And they, they feel as if there's been a shift towards feeling better about the organisation. But at the same time you can see there's been a 29% drop um in people recommending organizations as a place to work from 2019 to 2022 which is really significant and also you have Greater Manchester which you've had the Edenfield center scandal um where BBC Panorama uncovered really poor care in the medium secure unit so that's also gone down really significantly which is not surprising but it's you know a shame because obviously it's it has gone down by about 11% I think in a year. So you've got some pretty kind of poor performers but you also that the gap between the the you know the high performers and um, you've got Berkshire and um Solent and Oxleys are really quite high with 72% recommending as opposed to at the bottom end have and Portman 40% recommending. So you know that there's quite a big gap in terms of you know satisfaction and and how people feel about things.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting that um, the, the the measure the measure around violence is now closer to the national average. As for as for many years, it was uh, mental health trusts performed very badly. I wonder if you have a sense of of why that that's improved a little bit. I don't know whether from talking to people, if there's anything in particular they've they've done to try and make it better for staff, Emily. I think the interesting thing was um,
3: the metric of
0: reporting that violence
3: is obviously a lot higher in mental health. Just and I think that's perhaps part of in line with you know policies that they have to report it perhaps yeah. a little bit more strenuously. Um, I uh, in terms of that it may be um, it it doesn't really kind of tally with the conversations that I've had. It it doesn't really. Kind of, you know, there haven't been people that I've spoken to that have got a sense of why that's the case. And um, obviously, the pandemic, um, you did have lots of people deployed for mental health trusts, um, and and that kind of thing. But I can't really put, put you know, put a kind of point on why that is the case. Um, obviously, I ha- they have traditionally performed badly on it, but it has kind of, you know, slumped a little bit. I don't know, Chris, if if you have a sense of, you know, whether that's a a trend that's perhaps a, a little bit odd or but it just seems to have just softened down and and flattened really so i i haven't my conversations with people i haven't got a sense of why that is
1: it's difficult to say and it's similar to the decline in um in violence experienced by frontline ambulance staff which of course remains at a shocking level um you know, it, it may be about how people are accessing services um, and, and who is accessing. It may be about um, how services are responding. Um, I, it's an interesting trend that I think merits more on picking. And, and uh, you know, if we can understand what's driving it, we can potentially look to drive those figures down further, which is what we, we really want to achieve. Um, but I think, you know, everything you say about the, the mental health service results, I would wholeheartedly agree with. I think it's very interesting to, to see how um, mental health services have, have kind of either extended the gap where they were already performing better than the national average, or in some cases crossed over from being slightly below average pre-pandemic to now being above average. Um, and what, what stands out to me, I think, amongst the mental health results is that we we quite rarely see a difference in the experiences of patient-facing and non-patient-facing staff. In the same way that we often do in other sectors, it's quite normal for patient-facing staff to report considerably worse experiences in acute care um or in ambulance trust, much less so in, in mental health. Um, I think that that that's really interesting and you know perhaps informs some of those trends.
0: Yeah, definitely I would agree with that. And um also, um Emily, I think just kind of uh round Office podcast I wanted to just pick up on a few of the trusts that you cover in the West Midlands as well as some of them have well have performed quite badly in this this year's staff survey um, I know that you've been kind of having a look in particular I wonder um, where you might want to start perhaps Shrewsbury and Telford um, what what are the results like this year for for that trust
3: yeah, so for the second year running, they um staff working there have rated the organisation you know as having the worst standard of care. Um it's only kind of thirty-nine point two percent would be happy for their friend or family member to be be treated by and Telford, which is concerning given, you know, the the gravity of concern that has been raised by Ockington reports and maternity. But I think it also points to um the pressure on acute services within and Telford because you have many major problems with um delivery in terms of you've got loads of ambulance handovers they're always performing very badly on that in that sense but i also think it's reflective of the pressure that those teams are under um it's a very rural um trust but also it's had reputational problems so it it, it struggles to recruit staff and you've got lots of frontline staff i imagine that are kind of voting with their feet in that sense and really you know are concerned by the the level of care there's also interesting um metrics for um which has been telford about kind of feeling secure about raising concerns about unsafe clinical practice, because obviously that's a really key theme of the Ockenden reports and making sure that people feel safe to speak up. But actually, um, from 2021 to 2022, there's been quite a significant sort of, you know, 3% to 4% drop in um, people feeling safe to raise concerns, and that's actually um, in contrast to some, I had an interview with Louise Barnett, the CEO, earlier this year, and she did feel as if people were feeling better about speaking up and feeling more like they could say if there were, was unsafe clinical practice, and perhaps that's not, um, it's going in the wrong direction, um, if, if we're talking about that from that sense. So that's despite her saying that she felt the culture was changing. We also have, if we're moving um, you know, further, further south a little bit to Birmingham, um, you know, we have University Hospitals Birmingham is under huge um scrutiny at the moment because it's got three reviews into allegations of bullying and, and culture problems. Um and you have that reflected in the staff survey um in terms of you know feeling secure and raising concerns. There's been quite a significant drop uh, in that sense from 70 to 66 um and we also have issues just in general with recommending as a place to work so it looks as if um it's you know on the decline and um hopefully these reviews will address some of those problems but you know they are pretty poor um in a sense of you know compared to the rest of the country and compared to the region they are falling pretty significantly um shows me in telford just to say they did actually increase by one percentage point in terms of recommending it as a place to work, but it's still right at the bottom of the Midlands table, uh, whereas UHB went from 50% to 48%. So, you know, under half um, of staff
0: surveyed recommending it as a place to work. Thanks so much, Emily. I think on that note, I'm going to round up the podcast this week. There's so much to talk about the staff survey. I could just just keep going. But thank you so much for all your time. It's been such a fascinating discussion. And just a reminder to all our listeners, our podcast is available every week on our website and wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And Do let us know if there's something you'd like to see us cover. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next time.